the Slaughter in May podcast. Hello, I'm Ben Kingsley and I'm joined by Emily Bradley and Natalie Donovan for the third in this series of podcasts. After the first session where we looked at some of the basics of quantum computing, in our second podcast, Rob Somroy talked to Robert Hannigan and Dr. Ali Kafarani about security and encryption issues. And they ended with some practical recommendations about the ways businesses might now start to make preparations in, in anticipation of a world in which quantum computing exists. So in this final session, we're going to bring the topic perhaps a little closer to home by thinking about ways in which business and other enterprise might now start to get involved with quantum computing. And to bring some colour to that discussion, we spoke to Alexei Kondratev, who's Head of Innovation and Data Science at Standard Chartered Bank. We asked him to share some of his experiences and recommendations from working uh, with quantum computing in the financial services industry. One of the first questions we posed to Alexei was why a business such as Standard Chartered might want to get involved with an experimental technology like quantum computing. Uh, it's uh, such a powerful new technology and with our history of um, technological disruption, when we look back um, uh, to the middle of the 20th century, when classical digital computing completely disrupted our lives. And then we look at internet that also completely disrupted the way we do business and <clears throat> had massive impact on our society. And, and we can imagine that quantum computing, uh, something that brings us almost infinite computing power uh, will have a similar impact uh, on everything we do. Uh, then uh, how cannot how can we not be engaged, and how can we not uh, try and be part of this new emerging ecosystem? Okay, that's interesting, Alexei. So I suppose the chestnut question then as to at what point do you think we're likely to be seeing live fire operational deployment of of quantum computing technology in businesses such as Standard Chartered? The progress is very fast. Uh, looking back uh, several years, we see enormous progress over the last two, three years. So if, if we would extrapolate into the future and the growth is exponential, uh, I, I think it's, it's very reasonable to assume that in, in, in a couple of years, we'll start seeing first, uh, uh, first real world productive deployment of quantum algorithms uh, to actual business processes. Which is an interesting view on timescales, isn't it, Emily? Because we've heard quite a range of views as to the timeline for quantum computing becoming a reality. Yes, so some people we speak to seem to suggest it's about 10 years, don't they? But here, Alexei is saying two years. Um, and he also highlighted what we've heard elsewhere, that actually this timeline is dependent upon the fact that, that quantum will be accessed as a service over the cloud. Uh, as opposed to individual businesses having their own quantum hardware? It's, it's very likely that access to uh, quantum hardware, quantum computing hardware, will be via a, a cloud solution. Uh, we would access a quantum computer via internet. We would send instructions over internet and we would receive back results over internet. Uh, because uh, it's, it's unlikely that uh, quantum hardware uh, will become portable in the nearest future. Uh, we are talking about 
several years before quantum computing will be used for real world applications as a matter of course but probably it's much much longer time horizon before quantum hardware becomes portable yes okay so i i think what this means is that for the majority of businesses you know, we won't need to be concerned with the the details of how quantum computers are are built and accessed because that will be in the hands of a select group of quantum hardware developers and so for most businesses it will be a matter of exploring and testing and developing uh, ways of using the power of quantum computing uh, as a service. And given that we're talking about such short timescales and before quantum could potentially be accessed as a service, it leads on to really interesting questions of, of the types of applications that might be of interest to businesses. We spoke to Alexei and he, he mentioned a couple of categories Standard Chartered is considering as an international financial institution. Um, I would say that um, uh, the range of possible applications falls into two, cat uh, two broad categories. Uh, when we talk about quantum machine learning, uh, we have two types of models uh, which we can productively run on existing uh, noisy, what we call noisy intermediate scale quantum NISC uh, uh, devices. Um, so these machine learning models uh, can be classified as generative models, models that would help to generate new samples from the learned distribution. You can, uh, you can imagine uh, generating new images uh, once you learn uh, 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 several uh, categories, so for example, a model can learn cats and dogs, and then you can generate pictures of new cats and new dogs, um, completely synthetic images. In finance, we would uh, 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 learn a distribution of uh, particular risk factors, uh, uh, assets, and so on, and then we would generate new samples from these dis distributions. Or uh, uh, there is a, a class of models called uh, discriminative models uh, or classifiers, where the task is to uh, classify a sample. So you, you are presented with an image and then you decide whether it's a cat or a dog. Or you, you can, uh, uh, in finance, you can think about uh, classifying an input as a buy signal or sell signal, something like that. So these two types of models uh, can be productively deployed on uh, NISC uh, noisy intermediate scale quantum uh, devices um, and uh, we see first signs of um, a quantum advantage here. So lots of cats and dogs there in the imagery but I think the core of what we're hearing and we again hear this elsewhere is that the problems that we expect quantum to be really good at solving are problems that involve complex modeling, advanced modeling. And so naturally it's those sorts of modeling tasks that are the prime area um, for now for businesses to be uh, investigating what quantum technology might, might, might do. Um, just before we delve a bit further into that thought, I think it's worth us pausing on the piece of jargon that Alexei mentioned there, uh, noisy intermediate scale quantum devices. Um, 
quite a mouthful, but it's a term that gets used quite frequently in this space at the moment. Emily, why don't you tell us what that means? Yes, so sometimes it's referred to as, as the NISC period. And, and my understanding is that it's the period of quantum computing that we're currently in. Um, so there are quantum computers that have already been built, but they are noisy, um, by which uh, it's meant that they suffer from some form of interference, um, they're sensitive to disturbance, and, and that uh, makes them prone to error. But that's not to say that nothing can be run on them. Yeah, I, so really what we're saying is that at least for now, we're in a period where the technology is relatively in its infancy. And so whilst we can harness some of its power to improve our abilities in some areas, and we can see that over time there'll be opportunities to harness more of that power, our ability to accurately model complex situations, for example, at the moment is still to an extent hampered by the immaturity of the hardware. And so our ability to to, to create new applications and run new software um, is going to be relatively limited until we can overcome some of those issues. So let, let's come back to the topic of, of modeling um, because that does seem to be an area where repeatedly we're hearing that quantum computing power presents some really meaningful benefits or gains over traditional computing power. Uh, modelling, of course, is very much a feature of the financial markets, and I'm sure that's why Standard Chartered have an interest in it. But of course, it's a feature of many industries um, when we think about you know, the, the need to, to model chemical or um, human um, or vehicle movements or uh, modelling efficiencies in industrial processes. It's tempting, um, isn't it, to think that based on what we've just said and heard, that quantum computing might be something that's reserved to solve the most complex of problems and, and situations that we face, whether it's in finance or biotech or any other industry. But I think, Nat, it, it must also be the case that quantum computing um, has the potential to make incremental but potentially significant improvements to, to non-complex um, or at least apparently mundane systems and processes, right? Yes, I, I think that's right. And, and as we've seen, while you can think of lots of complex modelling that a bank like Standard Chartered may want quantum to help with, as you mentioned, it may also be used to help bring efficiencies to quite laborious tasks that would, would take a classical computer a long time to work through in areas like logistics, for example. Yeah, and that's that's not just because there's more power in a quantum computer, if I can put it that way but it's because of the very nature of a quantum computer relative to a traditional computer. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. A common example I've heard people use is describing how a computer would work out how to escape a maze. So a traditional computer would effectively work its way through every path and it, until it found the one leading to the exit. Whereas if you've got a quantum computer, it basically tries every path at once and manages the uncertainty that approach inherently brings with it. And I suppose I think of it as a kind of multitasking, which I'm sure is not the correct technical term. Um, but you can imagine how that could speed up and bring efficiencies to a whole range of business processes. Yeah, and I think that that image of the maze is very effective, isn't it? Capturing what's going on. I find that very helpful. Um, 
So I suppose we've been speaking about some of the potential applications of quantum computing. And the natural next step might be to think about how businesses go about realising those opportunities. What we seem to have been hearing from our clients is that it's not that you have to go and build your, you know, we spoke about this earlier, go and build your own quantum computer. Um, but actually, it's a more collaborative consortia-based model um, that, that really works. And this point about collaboration did come up when we were talking with Alexei. I think it's a, it's a general industry at the trend or uh, general uh, situation uh, where uh, we have to collaborate. It's it's an area where we have um, uh, completely different institutions working together, bringing their, their own expertise in different areas, uh, sometimes non-overlapping areas. Um, uh, as, as, as we discussed, we can have a financial institution, an academic institution, uh, a hardware manufacturer, a software developer, uh, very different companies from very different areas, but working together to achieve uh, a common goal and building the whole ecosystem around them. So I think uh, it, it requires clearly a different type of support um, uh, and a different uh, uh, type of uh, maybe even uh, a different kind of agreement, if you wish. Um, so um, addressing all these issues um, is not an easy task. Um, and um, I, I think that's exactly where um, um, companies uh, like the Cures uh, can can help us, and uh, and can um, uh, can help to uh, to design and develop uh, new industry standards. As Alexei mentioned, there, I mean, collaboration is an area that we help clients with in a, a range of sectors and with a range of technologies, and there are obviously various ways you can collaborate. Um, when we were speaking to Alexei about uh, what Standard Chartered was doing in relation to quantum, he talked a little bit about how a, a consortium model works for them. Uh, probably the most uh, productive way forward is to have a consortium that would combine um, a, a quantum hardware manufacturer together with quantum software development companies, uh, together with <clears throat> industry partners who can bring in uh, various uh, use cases, uh, uh, challenging, interesting use cases, but also provide uh, a lot of expertise in, in uh, several areas, such as machine learning, AI, uh, and, uh, and classical benchmarking. Uh, so I think uh, in, in this regard, financial institutions are somewhat special, especially banks, uh, because um, such financial institutions have large teams of uh, quantitative analysts that tend to be the former physicists or former mathematicians or computer scientists. Uh, so people with uh, a proper background in very relevant subjects, uh, people who also uh, uh, know finance and the whole range of financial use cases, and uh, people who are used to do a lot of modeling. So modeling skills is what uh, is, is really important here. So I think um, uh, uh, I think this is what makes banks and, and financial institutions uh, valuable uh, consortium partners for hardware manufacturers and uh, 
software developers. So unsurprisingly, I think, given the high barriers to entry that we've seen with something like Quantum, in terms of both the level of resource needed and, and expertise required, which I think, Ben, you touched on earlier, collaboration is really common. And as we've heard, that collaboration is between people with different skill sets. And that's something we've seen not only with quantum, but with lots of developing technologies like AI, for example, and also DLT. Yes, and, and with your IP hat on that, um, it sounds like that might raise some quite complicated IP issues. Is that right? Yeah, um, whenever you're looking at collaboration, there are issues to consider around ownership and in particular potential joint ownership of any IP that's created, which can raise some interesting issues. Um, and then, of course, there are issues around how that IP will be protected, how it can be used, etc. And I think the key really is to make sure that whatever collaboration arrangements you have in place, they need to clearly set out the ground rules for developing IP as part of that process. So, for example, the various parties need to be really clear both on, on what they're bringing into the arrangement, but also on what they and others are able to do with any technology and IP that's used or, or developed as part of that arrangement. And I think it's something that a, a lot of organisations looking to develop technology like Quantum are dealing with. Um, and Alexei did mention some of these issues when we spoke to him. Uh, I guess it depends on, on the type of consortium, type of agreement that participants um, uh, sign uh, and the overall structure. Uh, a typical situation is when the background AP stays with consortium partners and a new AP created through the process of innovation, through the process of uh, co-creation uh, is then uh, uh, shared uh, by uh, consortium partners. Um, however, there are, uh, there are many special cases, many exceptions, and uh, I think every, every single collaboration, every single project is unique. In this regard. But it also highlights importance of a proper legal support and uh, expertise uh, in uh, everything related to intellectual property, so uh, to uh, patents, uh, to patent applications, uh, and so on. So obviously IP, very important issue um, to, to be thinking about whenever you're developing any new tech technology or solution with with partner organizations. Another area that often comes up and that we find ourselves talking to clients about when we're involved in joint ventures and consortia development activities um, involving new tech is, is data and data privacy, data protection. I think exactly the same uh, uh, data privacy rules would apply and exactly the same uh, regulation we have right now around classical computing would, would apply to quantum computing. Uh, um, uh, at the end of the day, quantum computing is just different way of performing computation. It's uh, slightly different mathematics that governs how computation is performed and uh, just different type of hardware. I agree completely that um, the data protection rules are designed to be technology neutral. And so all of the same rules, as Alexei mentioned, will apply regardless of whether the computation is performed on a classical or a quantum computer. I mean, that said, we 
don't yet know what or even if quantum will raise any significant new DP compliance issues. Uh, we've heard a little bit in previous podcasts about potential security issues. Um, we'll need to see if quantum impacts issues like transparency and, and explainability and the kinds of things that are quite hot topics at the moment with something like AI. And if you simplify things, blockchain, for example, is just really a, a database, a type of ledger technology. But obviously, the specific way that it works raises particular privacy issues. Similarly, if you look at something like AI, that's another example of where a new technology has really needed some specific focus from the data regulator for it to be able to properly apply those existing rules to the new issues raised by that new technology. Yeah, that seems fair comment, Nat. Um, so I do wonder about the, the regulatory approach to all of this. And I think regulators inevitably will need to get up a curve if they've not already done so. And we've seen that, of course, happening in the, the world of AI and distributed ledgers, as you say, where certainly in the financial sector, there's been a lot of um, time and effort expended by the regulators to get their arms uh, around those new technologies and some of the you know, potential, actual and potential emergent risks that, that they present. But I, I think that must be true for all regulators of industries that are going to have an interest in accessing quantum computing power, surely. Yeah, it, it's definitely true to say we're increasingly seeing regulators work to understand the technology they're regulating. I've mentioned AI a couple of times and leaving aside that we now have AI-specific regulation on the horizon at EU and, and possibly UK level, if you think about the ICO, the, the data regulator, it's run a, a number of projects around AI to ensure it's understanding the technology and applying those technology neutral laws to specific AI risks. Or, you know, regulators are coming together to ensure they've got a joined up approach to digital regulation. The ICO, the CMA, Ofcom, and I think now also the FCA are working together in the something like the Digital Regulation Cooperation Forum. And as part of that, they're committing to, to upskill knowledge in this area. Yeah, and, and focusing on the FCA is just one example. It's, it's clearly an area which they are really focusing on um, at the moment. Uh, for example, within the past year, I'm aware of the fact that they've been working with the Alan Turing Institute to get to grips with some of the complexities of AI. Um, and they also seem particularly interested in the impact of technology on customers and how, uh, when computers model consumer behavior, for example, whether and how that produces fair outcomes for consumers. And you can see as quantum grows, this is going to be a real area of interest um, going forwards. Uh, and Alexei also agreed that regulatory uh, input and uh, upskilling is going to be crucial in the coming years. Quantum technology goes well beyond quantum computing. Quantum computing is just one of the many quantum technologies that enter our life right now. Um, so probably the 21st century is going to be the century of quantum technologies in different shapes and forms. So yes, uh, I think it, 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 it would be very, very beneficial for, uh, 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 for, uh, uh, for authorities at different levels uh, regulators, uh, business executives, uh, policy makers uh, to improve uh, understanding of new technologies. So I think although we're not yet seeing 
specific regulatory initiatives focusing on quantum technologies, quantum computing. Um, certainly, we, we can already see the direction of travel based on the approach that regulators, and I'm thinking the moment particularly about the FCA as a, as a, as a financial services sector regulator, approach that the regulators are taking um, to adapt to new technologies. And so, for example, we, we can see with the FCA and the Bank of England's um, rules around operational resilience a much greater focus on the uh, both the systemic risks and the institution-specific risks that dependencies on technologies or complex technologies, complex systems and processes um, poses. And one can see readily that a dependence or, or at least a reliance on complex quantum computing modeling, for example, to run a the balance sheet of a bank would be a, an area of great focus and interest to the financial regulators. I would think also that, as has tended to be the case in, in the past, that you know, industries themselves will want to start to develop their own standards um, once uh, technologies such as this start to become um, more, a more common feature. Um, it, I mean, it must be, must be likely you think that that will we'll see industry standards start to emerge yeah i think actually with standards there's a, a really interesting conversation to be had about the role of standards versus harder regulation if you like and we've recently seen for example with the regulation of consumer smart devices so alexa etc that initial work to develop standards is now being followed up with a, an increased focus on regulation so I think for quantum, it's going to be interesting to, to watch and, and see how the market develops in this regard. And when we spoke to Alexei about standardization, he was clear that there are standards emerging in the areas of algorithmic design, although he did mention that it was probably too early to, to demand any kind of particular standard when it came to physical hardware, given it's, it's still being developed and it's not really clear yet if um, a dominant form of hardware is going to prevail. Uh, I, I think uh, there is there is a lot of uh, uh, standardization when we talk about uh, uh, algorithms, how algorithm quantum computing algorithms are designed, presented, explained. Uh, so I think uh, there is some kind of emerging uh, common language that allows people to represent ideas in a standardized way. Um, um, I, I think uh, like even even uh, the, uh, the concept of uh, uh, generally accepted notations is, is very important here. Uh, but when it comes to hardware, when it comes to physical systems on which computation can be run, it's, it's probably too early to demand any particular standard uh, because technologies are so different. So one thing that I certainly taken from the discussion is that I think it's clear that quantum, you know, as a technology, is not yet for everyone. Um, albeit in some industries, uh, there's there's work going on, and there will be uh, some businesses that that are regarding it as a priority for investment and exploration. It seems as though we're not yet 
really at a tipping point um, for use cases uh, and more importantly for live fire adoption of, of the technology in a business environment. But I think I also take from our discussion that that, that tipping point could come along quite quickly. Um, potentially, we're hearing within a, a few years, but certainly on a, on a mid-term horizon, it's a realistic prospect. And so I think it must make sense for businesses to do some forward planning, or at the very least, um, to have quantum uh, on the agenda in procurement processes, and certainly um, for sort of mid and longer term innovation strategies. We've also talked about the importance of bringing the regulators along. And so if you're in a business operating in a regulated environment, uh, I think having regard to the role um, and the interests of, of regulators at an early stage of developing and exploring this, this technology um, will undoubtedly pay dividends in the longer term. So uh, much promise um, from quantum computing. Um, it's a topic that we're going to stay plugged into um, and we'll see how things develop across all of the industries that we're working with. Uh, we'd be very interested to hear from clients, contacts that are either working in this area or would like to get more involved in the area. So if that includes you, please do reach out to any or all of us. We'd be delighted to talk more about this topic. For now though, uh, let's wrap up and our thanks to Alexei Kondratev of Standard Chartered Bank for providing us with insight and some, some food um, for thought in our discussions. Thanks also to Natalie and to Emily for your input into this podcast. Well, that's a wrap on our short podcast series on quantum computing. We'd obviously love to hear from you if this is a topic that you've been thinking about in a business context or if it's just something you'd like to have an initial conversation around. We'd be very happy to share our own thinking and to make connections to others working in the field. You can find the other two podcasts and further materials on this topic in our quantum hub at slaughterandmay.com forward slash quantum hyphen computing. For more information on this topic or to hear our other podcasts, please visit www.slaughterandmay.com. You can also subscribe to the Slaughter and May podcast on iTunes or Google Play.